Hey, so listen, we've been in this series, this, this, this seventh floor series, and what we've been doing is we have an opportunity to really share with you guys um, what, our, what our church is about, right? So, so there's, been, there's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes, um, and our campus is new, and the church in general, Four City Church, is new in itself and who we are. And so, um, but we've been doing a lot of work. We've been doing a lot of prayer. We're doing a lot of, of work to, to, to establish who it is exactly that we are. And so we've come to this place and this spot here in this month where we are launching a, we're in a series where we want to be completely clear about who we are as a church. Like, like for us, if I were to relate this to scripture, this, is, this for us is like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've taken everything into consideration, like everything as far as our responsibility as a church, our responsibility to, to, to do all we can to create space for you guys, your spiritual formation. We've been thinking about, man, who we are as a church and, and the witness that we need to be out into the world. And so, so all things considered, what we're saying here is, hey, man, this is what we're about. This as a church, these are the things that we feel like um, are, are the most important. And so what we have is we, we are extending an invitation to you as we share with you what is the heartbeat of our church is an invitation for you guys to come along, for you guys to join us um, in the work that we feel like God has called us to do. Um, and so we started it last week with our lead pastor, Eric Parks. And so this week, I have, man, this is the esteemed pleasure of creating and writing a sermon in, in two hours and coming before you today uh, to make this thing happen. So good. You guys are so gracious. You guys are so gracious. Oh, man. So listen, so today we're going to talk about hospitality. And so I had to look up the definition of hospitality. And so hospitality is this. It's the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests visitors and strangers. And I think, I think most oftentimes when we think about hospitality, it may be in, in the context of the fact that maybe we're not, we're not experiencing hospitality. You go somewhere, whether it's a hotel or a restaurant or, man, or even someone's home, and you're like, oh, man, they, they just were not very hospitable to me. The way they, they welcomed me, the way they received me just didn't make me feel good. Um, so some of you know that, um, man, last week, my family, we went to Disney World. Um, let me tell you, Disney World, it was, it was an amazing experience. And I would just say it is, it is a hospitable place. Um, but here's the deal. We, so we, we went to Disney World, and, I mean, you got the shows, you got the rides, you got the experiences. But, man, I'm going to tell you what. Man, they, they just make you feel special in that place. Like, like what does it say here? This, this generous reception, this, this, uh, this entertainment. Like, we definitely felt that. In Disney. So when, when you're there, whether you're in, in any of the parks, right, uh, we were in Magic Kingdom, and out of nowhere what you would experience is, is there was a parade. Like, we had no idea what was coming. It was parade after parade. Carrington's loving it. You got characters that are out and about. I mean, they're accessible. Carrington got a picture with Minnie Mouse. Um, you, you're going through uh, uh, um, uh, Animal Kingdom. You got, you got live uh, musicians and Epcot. You got mariachi bands. I'm just like, man, Disney is not cheating me out of my money. Like, they, they, they giving me my money's worth here in, in this moment. And we definitely feel like, man, that they are generous. And, and we were there, and we spent thousands of dollars. We paid, we paid way too much for water, $6 for bottles of water, you know, way too much money for food. But guess what? We're going back. You better believe we're going back. Why? Because Disney, man, they are a very 
hospitable place. They were generous to us in our experience in the way that we felt when we were in Disney. Man, it was just a hospitable place. And so hospitality is something that we're going to talk about because last week when Parks was here, he had um, the table out, and, and, and in the middle of his table um, was Jesus. And he talked about this importance of placing Jesus at the center of our table. Well, well, here's the deal. Here's why hospitality is important. You can put up that first quote because here's, here's this quote from Christine uh, Paul. It says, hospitality was a fundamental expression of the gospel. So basically saying that, that if, if we do what we talked about last week, if, if we have Jesus at the center of our tables, then what the expression of that will be, we will be hospitable people, right? And so in order for us as a church to be a church that, that lifts up the gospel, if we're going to be a church where we make the name of Jesus known, then, then what that means is that this has to be a hospitable place. We have to be people of hospitality. So today we're going to look at um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. You can go uh, flip to that page in your Bible, or you can just read the screen, whatever is most convenient for you. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Here's what Matthew chapter 9, um, here's what it says. It says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw, a man, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus, as Jesus reclined at excuse, and Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" And when he heard it, Jesus heard it. He said, "Those who are well have no need." of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So let me give you some context as far as Jesus hanging out with these tax collectors and these sinners. So these tax collectors, here's the deal with tax collectors. So um, these tax collectors were actually Jewish people, but the Jews at the time, they were under Roman occupation, Right? So what the Romans would do is, is they would get Jews um, to, to go and collect taxes on behalf of Rome. So you have a Jewish, uh, someone that's Jewish working for Rome, going to people and collecting taxes. So if it's me, if I'm on the block and, uh, and Dante come to my house trying to get some money from me for Rome, like Dante, boy, man, I've known you since you was five years old, but why are you at my house trying to collect Taxes for the enemy. Like, like why, why are, it, it's like, why are you being a traitor in this moment? Like, like, how do you think that I would experience Dante coming to my house collecting, tax, collecting taxes for the man? Like, like, what do you think my opinion is of Dante? Like, what do you think Dante's reputation is in the community where, where uh, a community of the people where he belonged to, but he went to go be with and align himself with uh, the oppressor? The Roman government, right? So, man, so tax collectors were not, were not highly thought of amongst the Jewish people. And then you had, and then you had, other, you had other sinners. And so then what you have is Jesus, though, regardless of that, regardless of the perception of what the tax collector was in the community, what you have is you have Jesus pursuing that individual or those individuals and Jesus saying to them, 
come follow me. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the religious elite here in this scripture, um, they fell into a trap. And they fell into a trap that a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, that a lot of us fall into. Because when you encounter sometimes people that are different than you, sometimes here's what we can do. We can, we can make assumptions, right? We can judge people. And then we can then begin to devalue them. And, and I know we're nice people. We don't want to look at ourselves at the context of devaluing people. But, but what happens is we, we, we say that, oh, man, we are maybe more important than them. So just, just in the fact that we lift ourselves up, right, what that means is then we devalue someone else, right? And so that's what happens. We, we see people that are different, we make, and it happens so quick. We make assumptions, we judge them, and then, we, and then we devalue them. And the Pharisees devalued them and judged them to the extent that the expectation for uh, a Pharisee, a rabbi, or even a Jew is the fact that, man, you won't even associate with these people because they're that different. They're not even worthy of my presence. They're not even worthy of me pursuing them. So I am, in essence, devaluing them. And so that's what you have the Pharisee, the Pharisees doing. And a lot of times, if we're honest, this a lot of times is our response when we encounter people that are different than who we are. But I love, I love the second part of that verse. Um, I love Jesus' response. First of all, they weren't talking to Jesus, but Jesus heard him anyway. Um, and, Jesus, and here's what Jesus said. It says, but when he heard it, he said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. So this idea that he's creating this metaphor between someone that's, that's sick and then someone that's in need of a physician. So real quick, I, um, man, my first job, my first job ever um, was as a lifeguard. I was, I was, it was fun. It was my summer job. And uh, but there was one moment in my lifeguard training that I remember even to this day, I was like, oh man, this is kind of heavy. Um, one of the things they, they, they say is, is because you are trained as a lifeguard and because you are trained and CPR, CPR certified, if someone is in need of care and you don't care for the individual, like you can be sued. Like, 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 you have, like you have a responsibility to care for someone in need or someone that needs life-saving measures. And if you don't, if you don't per, uh, perform those those things, then, then you can be held accountable because you have the training, you have the skills, but yet you're denying that person care. And I think doctors, forgive me, I'm not, I'm not completely versed in this, but I think there's something similar to someone that is a doctor and a physician. Like, like they have a duty and a responsibility to care for someone that's in need. They cannot withhold their expertise in medical care from someone. It's an obligation. Because I think of this from those people's perspective. I think about this from the tax collector's perspective. I think about it from the sinner's perspective. Yo, what, what are they supposed to do? Like, 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 how in the world are they supposed to get better? How in the world, if, if the way that they're acting and behaving isn't the way that they should, then, then, then what, where are they supposed to go? Who are the people that are supposed to go to them? And so what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, man, if you have these tax collectors and you have these sinners, listen, I am Jesus. I'm the God of the universe. I am the source of life. I am the one that can connect them with their purpose. I'm the one that can deliver truth. 
And so as Jesus, I have an obligation then to go to those people if this is the position that they're in, right? So if we, the church, know God through Jesus Christ, then don't we have an obligation to do what Jesus did because Jesus went to those tax collectors, Jesus went to those sinners and said, hey, he said, hey, come follow me. So then as the church, don't we now have the responsibility to then go to people and because we know Jesus, we know the God of the universe, we know truth, we have the ability to connect them to someone that can heal, to connect them to someone that can restore, to connect them with someone that can bring transformation then don't we now have the responsibility then to go? So that's why Jesus said, hey, I didn't came for the righteous. I came for the sick. Because without us, what are the sick going to do? So this is the responsibility. This is the example that Jesus was setting. And again, all of this happened where? Around the table, reclining at the table. And they were breaking bread together. There's this quote I want to share with you. Another quote from, from Christine Post is this, table fellowship was an important way of recognizing the equal value and dignity of persons. So when we encounter people that are different from us and, and we place different value on those people, but it's at the table where what we're saying is that, hey, at this table, we all have equal value. We all have equal dignity. So regardless of the differences that we have, whether it's in the fact that I make a, a, a judgment on the fact that you're not living up to the same moral standard, you're, you're not following good moral values and I make a judgment about you, or whether it's um, we have a different political ideology or whether we just see things different in life or, or, or you fill in the blank, Right? Regardless of what those things are, the reality is everyone has the same equal value and dignity because we are all made in the image of God. And that happens at the table. And that's what we saw Jesus with the tax collectors and the sinners. And so this idea of the table and its value is lifted up and how important that it is. So real quick, I'm going to go next to uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 uh, verses 44 through 47, we see, we see another example of hospitality in scriptures. Let's look at Luke 7 and see what it has to say to us today. It says this, then, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has, uh, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased kiss. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed uh, my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. So you have this woman, what happened before this, you have this woman who, who uh, was believed to be a prostitute and she, she entered this house where Jesus was at and, and she had this expensive bottle of oil and she anointed Jesus with it and then she, she wept it and, and wiped her feet with her tears. And so upon her entering the house, these, these men were appalled that, that she would even enter into the house because of her reputation, because she was a prostitute. 
And so what they wanted to do is they wanted to, they wanted to kick her out, right? They wanted to expel her from the house because she did not belong. But then Jesus begins to point out all the things that the woman did that, that they were supposed to do. Right. Um, what does it say? It says it's I entered the house. You gave me no water for my feet. So it was customary because because uh, a lot of times they didn't have on vans or Nikes or, or something like they had on sandals. Right. And, and you didn't have paved streets. You had you had dirt roads and pathways. And so it was customary to enter the house. You didn't want your feet to stay dirty. So it was customary to have a guest uh, a feet washed when they came into the house. And so Jesus would say, hey, when I came in, you didn't you didn't even you didn't wash my feet. That was, that was customary. You, you gave me no kiss, and you didn't, you didn't anoint my head, but she anointed me. And so he's pointing out all the things that were customary in tradition when someone would go into someone's house, but he's saying that, that you did not do these things. And so he's looking at the example of the woman, and he's holding them up to the standard of hospitality that they did not show, but this woman showed. So here again, what we're, we're showing that is highlighted is, is this idea of hospitality and what someone should experience when they come into the space and what someone should feel. So I want to go quickly back to what we were talking about in, in Matthew 9, when, when you had the Pharisees and they were, they were uh, looking at Jesus was hanging around with. They were looking at the tax collectors. They were, they were looking at the sinners and they were asking the question, why, why is Jesus hanging out with those people? And so I just have to ask this question, like, who, who would that be for you? Who would that be that, like, if you've seen someone in your family or one of your friends hanging out with them, you would ask the question, why are you hanging out with them? So for the, for the Pharisees, it was the tax collectors. It was the sinners, right? That's who it was for them. But we have to, we have to make this relevant to our, to our own lives. Who, who would that be for you? Then, man, you would be surprised and appalled if you saw some of your friends or even some of your family members hanging out with. So real quick, I have a quick confession to make. There's, um, there's someone I've encountered twice in Rockford, and I have to be honest because I can't act like I'm not guilty myself of these things. And so um, I remember I was driving down the street, and I'm coming up on this man on the motorcycle, and I'm just, and I'm like, oh, like I'm just looking to make an observation, like, oh, he has, he has someone. I'm trying to distinguish. It looks like he's has someone riding with him, but I, but I can't really tell. Um, but it turned out he had a full size doll on the back of his motorcycle, right? And the doll, he he placed the hands, he placed the doll's hands on the back of his shoulders, like, like I don't know how he did it. I wanted to see how it happened. So, and then so he's riding and he has this doll with this doll's arms on his shoulders. And then on the back of a motorcycle, if you, if you remember a, a really scary movie that gave me many nightmares when I was growing up called Chucky, um, there was this doll that looked like Chucky like this at the back staring at me. And so I saw him twice. I just saw him again at Walmart. And then my mind was like, man, this dude is crazy. This dude has some screws loose. And all of a sudden, I'm making judgment about this guy and who he is. And all of a sudden, I'm kind of elevating myself over him. And I'm like, man, and I'm, like, I'm convicted about my mindset towards this individual. Like, man, why am I judging this person? Like, why am I making judgments about who this person is and, and, and the fact that, that I'm, I'm somehow above this individual, right? 
So for me, I just stand before you convicted because I'm guilty of this too. And so we have to ask ourselves, man, who, who are these people in our lives that we may be judging, that we may be not necessarily associating because of the assumptions and the judgments that we make about them? But here's the reality. If, if Jesus is at the center of our table, right, we don't have room to take that posture. We don't have room to, to make those assumptions and those judgments, and we have a responsibility to, to follow the example of Jesus and be hospitable even towards those people. So you think about hospitality, right? And so the hospitality is not something that, that you can just read a book and just know how to do. Hospitality is something that, that you only learn how to do it by doing it. Like, you can't get around that. So there's, there's this obligation that we have then to, to practice hospitality. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to be bad at it. Like, we're not going to get it right um, at, the, at the first go. Like, we're going we're gonna to make mistakes, and that's okay. But, but the reality is we have to be people that practice hospitality. So real quick, I want to give you, I give you three, three ways that we can, can practice hospitality. And so this first one is this. Well, I'm going to give you the three ways. Three ways is this. Set the table is the first way. The second way is to share your life. And then lastly, we have to, to seek to understand. So real quick, let me talk about setting the table. So setting the table is this. We have to, we have to create space for other people in our lives. So my wife and I, before we moved here to Illinois, my wife and I, we had bought our first house. Loved our house, didn't we, babe? Loved that thing. It was a great house. Anyway, um, but it was our first time we had moved to the suburbs. And so when I moved to the suburbs, I, I realized, like, man, I realized how easy it is to be isolated from people. Because we had a house, we had, we, I mean, we had a two-car garage, but the norm was three-car garages in our neighborhood. And, I mean, it was easy for me to come up. I could pull alongside my mailbox. I wouldn't even get out the car to get the mail. I'd just roll up get my mail, and then I back into my spot. Like, and then I'm in my house, I'm in my garage, and that's it. I ain't said nothing to nobody. I don't have to talk to a neighbor. I don't have to see a neighbor. I just back into my house and enjoy my family. And that's it, right? And, and I just, I just, I mean, I did not have this experience until I came to this kind of a place. I see how it can be, ob how it can be easy, excuse me, for us to really isolate ourselves. But no, we have to create safe space for, others uh, for other people. We have, to, we have to set the environment. We have to set the table and see what what, to see what wants to happen. And how do we create space? How do we create a safe space for people uh, so that we can be hospitable? So one thing that I've kind of stumbled upon, I, di I didn't do it on purpose, it just kind of happened, was um, Carrington, my daughter, and then I have a dog. And so one of the things that I do every day, three times a day, sometimes it's becoming more because my daughter's getting a little bit older. He's nine. He's having some accidents in the house. And so um, we don't like that at all. Um, and we don't like the smell of poop in our basement. Um, so, and I don't like cleaning it up. Okay, let me, I'm back, back on track. Um, so anyway, so it's a little more frequent now than what it was, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. So anyway, I have a, I have a dog. So I walk the dog all the time, three times a day, at least sometimes more he's getting old. That's what I meant to say for the first time. All right, so, and so in me walking the dog, we encounter our neighbors, we encounter people. And then also my daughter, Carrington, she likes to play outside. Carrington, um, my wife and I are living vicariously through our daughter, 
And uh, we bought her a Jeep, right? One of those proud woods Jeeps, because we didn't have it growing up. So Karen didn't gonna have one growing up. She didn't ask for it. We just gave it to her. That's another sermon. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, she had the Jeep. And so Carrington wants to ride around the entire neighborhood with her Jeep. And so she's riding, and then I'm just, all I'm doing is this. I mean, Karen just riding the Jeep. Anyway, all I'm saying is, so in our neighborhood, we, be, between me walking the dog and between me walking behind Carrington, you know, walking uh, uh, in our neighborhood, we, we've encountered some people. And so, um, just real quick, so, um, what are my stories here? So we have uh, one guy named Tim. We have Tim on our block. Tim, uh, I would look at Tim, we would look at Tim outside of our, our house, and, and Tim, anytime the mailman came, Tim meets the mailman at the mailboxes. And he's an older guy, and he, he, and he has a hoodie on, and he just kind of, you know, he just kind of walks. And, and we're like, man, who is this guy, Tim? And then, and then one day, I, I, I see Tim, he's walking to the store. And I just pull up, and I say, hey, man, you, you need to ride to the store, bro? Like, get in the car, let's go, let's go, let's go to the store. And then since then, Tim and I, I've taken him to the bank, and, and I've taken him to Social Security. And so, so now me and Tim, we tight. Right? Another, seriously, another instance, you know, I'm walking my dog Harley, and then uh, there's, this, there's this house down the street, and she has this dog that she leaves in, in, the, uh, in her yard tethered, right? And it's a little dog. My dog Harley, he's soft as cotton, but he's still bigger. He's 80 pounds. And so this dog just barks. And so one day, uh, Helen doesn't like it when Lucy, which is a dog, when Lucy barks. And so one day, Helen comes outside to get, to get Lucy, and, and, and as Helen came out, to get Lucy, um, Helen falls. And I'm like, oh, shucks, Helen. And she's like, she gets up, she's bleeding. She's apologizing to me because of her dog barking. I'm like, Helen, go fix yourself up. Go, go get a napkin. I got Lucy, like, don't worry about this. And so she cleans herself up. I'm like, Helen, Helen, when you, when you hear Lucy barking, don't worry about us, we fine. You good, don't worry about So we know Helen, right? Uh, um, Man, it, it just keeps going on. I, I, I got more stories. But what I, my, my point is, my point is this. Oh, I, I, one more story. Can I one more story? One more story. Then, then, then another, another story is uh, we gave away uh, candles for Mother's Day, right? So I took the candles back to our house, and then we were coming home from church, and my wife and I were like, oh, man, we should just give these, these candles away. And so we just, we just, everyone that we knew in the neighborhood, we went and knocked on doors, and uh, we said, hey, we just want to say happy Mother's Day, every mother we knew. And that's all it was. It wasn't nothing big. And then, but there was one person that particularly loved it. Her name is Jackie. Um, and so we went to Jackie's house. Jackie was floored. You guys are so nice. Did you give me this candle? The next thing we know, Jackie's coming over to her house to give us a card because we gave her a candle. And then, uh, and then one time we were out of town and there was a package. And then, and then Jackie was like, oh, no, uh, uh, people be taking packages in the neighborhood. Let me take your package. And so our package is gone. But guess who got the package? Jackie got the package. And so we like, Jackie, uh, can I come pick up the package? And so now us and Jackie, we tight. And we see Jackie, hey, Jackie. Anyway, all I'm saying is, you got to set the table. You got to create space. You got to create space. You got to create space. You got to set the table in your life. And real quick, let me real quick. So, 
So as, as pastors, right, as campus pastors, right, you see things like we have a welcome team. We have people to greet you, right? Um, we, have, we have coffee um, downstairs. Uh, and, so, and so you see all these things that, and we're going to, we're trying to figure out how to have a connect point so we can receive uh, people that are new to our church, right? And so the, the reality is this, what are we trying to do with a church when we have someone at the door? What are we trying to do at, in our church when we have coffee? We don't specialize in coffee. Heck, I don't even drink coffee, right? But what are we trying to do? Guys, we're trying to set the table. We're trying to create space for, for, for hospitality in these hospitable environments, all right? So that's the first one. First thing we got to do is we got we to set the table, create the space, safe spaces so people can experience hospitality. Secondly is this. We have to share our lives, right? We have to share your life. I love, I love this verse um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And so I know, like, I know sometimes um, we may feel a certain kind of way when it comes to, to, to sharing our lives. I remember I was a youth pastor one time, and, and I remember I was trying to invite kids to my house. I was trying to share my life with my students at the church. Um, and this one, this one, I talked to this father, and his father was like, um, uh, Dam- Damon, can't, he can't come to your house. Damon is, he's, he's more than welcome to, to, to take uh, advantage of anything happening at the church, but he ain't coming to your house, right? So we, we feel some kind of way. Sometimes when it comes to us sharing our lives for whatever reason, maybe it's us being insecure, maybe because we, we are private, regardless of what it is, but sometimes we have... We feel a certain kind of way when it comes to the aspect of us legitimately sharing our lives with other people. But, excuse me, but the reality is this. When we have the opportunity to share our lives with people, it's really powerful. Right? When, when Jesus encountered the, 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 uh, the sinners and the tax collectors, he said, follow me. When it's this idea of discipleship, sometimes I had a question about, man, what is, what is discipleship? What does it really mean? Is it, is it, is it a class? Like, like I was trying to wrap myself, my, my mind around what discipleship was, but, but all discipleship is is inviting someone into your life. And as you experience your relationship with Jesus, you just give someone else an opportunity to experience that that with you. And so the, the, the very aspect of discipleship really is this giving someone access to your life. And the, sometimes the, the good and the bad, the ugly that someone else sees in your life, uh, which may be something that we don't want someone to experience, but man, when someone has the opportunity to see how you encounter and you deal with the good and the bad and ugly in your life, and then they have the opportunity to say to themselves, oh man, I have some good, some bad, some ugly in my life as well. Man, it's encouraging to me as I see a redeemed way to handle the good and the bad and the ugly. So we have to share our lives with each other. And so the question is, who are you sharing your life with? And, and, and in order for you to do that, you, uh, we can, we're going to keep saying this phrase, like we have to create space for that to happen. If I'm used to always doing things by myself, right, in isolation, I'm going to have to figure out ways, man, how can I invite people to, to share in my life in this particular thing, Right? Uh, after today, um, um, myself and Carrington, we're going to do something that th- th- it, which is really an example of what we're talking about. Um, the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills play today, and, and, and we're trying to share our lives together as we watch the game together at my house. Um, 
Now, I'm doing my best to be hospitable to that brother in this moment because during this game, he's not going you know, to be looked at in the best light because I know he's going to have his Buffalo Bills gear on. Um, but I'm doing my best to share my life. I'm being silly, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we have to figure out ways to share our lives with people. We have to create space. We have to be intentional. We have to think even strategically about, man, how am I going to do this? How am I going to create space for other people in our lives. And then lastly is this, we have to seek to understand. We have to seek to understand. When I think about seeking to understand, that means when I encounter someone and I I meet someone, um, what I'm going to do first is is before I make assumptions and before I make judgments, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to seek to understand. And sometimes it's, it's, it's easy to say that and for me to say it from up front, but it's really hard for us to do. One reason it's really challenging for us to do is because sometimes your brain is lazy, okay? And, and your brain wants to be able to put things into categories, and so your brain doesn't want to, to seek to understand. Your brain wants to, to put something in the category, wants to make an assumption, and wants to know where it can, where it can put something, Right? But, that, but that's not what we should do. We should really figure out how to seek to understand. Another thing that's challenging is when we, when we seek to understand, um, I'm sorry, when we seek to understand, sometimes uh, it, can, it can bring out uh, insecurities um, of our own. I just got out of track. Excuse me for a second. Let me go to this quote to get me back on track. Go to this quote from St. Francis Assisi. He says this, and I've heard this before several times. It says, seek to understand rather than to be understood. That got me back on track. Because here's the reality. Sometimes one reason we don't seek to understand is because we may have a need to be understood. Okay, so, so basically, like, like if I'm always in every space, if, if, if I'm always going in spaces and I need to be heard, I need to be understood, I need to be, for people to see me, if, if that's the, the position that I'm always in, I need people to look at me, I need the attention. It's really challenging sometimes for, for me seeking to understand someone else for that to be the first thing that I'm going to do, right? So what does that speak to, Leonard? So then what that speaks to is that speaks to our connectedness, the value of our connectedness to Jesus. When I'm connected to Jesus, when I know and realize that I am known by Jesus, when I take the time to be filled up and to feast on Jesus, and for me, what Bria was talking about, to to depend on Jesus and create space to him to fulfill my needs. When I'm good, then I have the ability then to sacrificially love somebody else. When I'm in a position where I've done what I need to do and I'm connected, then I have the ability to say, hey, in this moment, in this encounter, I don't necessarily need anything from you. I am free to love you. Let me listen and understand what you're saying. And sometimes when we come to these spaces, we have such a need that we don't have the ability to see the need that maybe someone else has, and then, and then, and then that's when it all falls apart. So it, 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 it requires us to be in a certain position in our relationship with Jesus so that we can then be released to seek to understand. I heard this, uh, this quote. This is not a quote because I'm going to jack it up. I heard it years ago, and I didn't have time to do the research, because remember, I got this two hours ago. Um, But it's something like this. 
it's something like this. It, it says there's, there's no such thing as irrational people. There's no such thing as irrational people. What does that mean? Because I've seen a lot of irrational people in my life. What does that mean? What this means is this. If you were in the same circumstances, under the same conditions, and under the same situations, it's not, it's not hyperbole or it's not uh, inconceivable for, like, for you to act the same way that someone else would act if you perceived them to be irrational, right? Listen, given the same circumstances, think about it, if you were that, that same person, you had the same makeup, you experienced the, the exact same thing, the exact same factors, the thing that, that you thought was irrational put you in the same spot, you may act the same way. So then when I encounter people, I look at them, and they, whether they act crazy or whether they're different or wherever they believe, I'm first, I'm first saying to myself, man, how can I understand that individual? Because maybe if I face what they face, I would do the same thing. So then it sparks in me, what, a curiosity. So we have to seek to understand. I'm going to end with this story. I think I'm in. The Lord, I might get happy and say some more stuff. But I think I'm in here. I have a, my, my brother. I have a brother. Um, he passed away in 2003, okay? So my brother, a little rough around the edges. Um, he sold drugs. He, 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 he had a rough life. He made some mistakes for sure. Um, but there was definitely, he spent some time in jail. There was definitely a period of time when my brother was trying to get on the right track. I mean, he was, he was trying to get on the right track. He was trying to do what he was supposed to do. <clears throat> he didn't want to let my father down anymore. My father, he kept, he kept bailing him out of jail. Um, and so he was trying to get on the right track. <clears throat> so I just remember one day I was in college. My brother was taking me to class. Look at my brother. <clears throat> he's acting real weird in the car. I mean, he's doing this. He's, he's rocking back and forth. He's blowing in his hands. <sighs> he's, he's, I'm just like, man, what is going on? And so and I, then I figure out what's going on. Um, so my brother, he was, he, was, he was really struggling, having a challenging time for providing for his four kids. And so, so what he was setting up, what he was about to do, is he was about to go uh, rob this guy of his drugs so he could take the drugs, flip it, and make some money to provide for his family. Okay? And so what he was asking me to do, he was like, Lynn, I'm going to go pick this guy up. Okay, he's gonna sit behind you, and then and then I'm I'ma rob him, and then I got somebody else that's gonna pull up. I'ma go in that car. I need you to take my car, and I need you to, to go off and we'll meet up somewhere else. And in my mind, I'm in the car. I'm like, oh shucks. I'm like, this is my bro. I love my bro. Ride or die for my bro. But I'm but the content. I'm going to I'm going to college. I'm about to go to class. And then the, the only thing in my head is like, like if you're packing, I know he's packing. And then in my head, I'm like, man. The, the scenario I had in my head is, oh, I could get shot because he's right. I, I don't want to get caught up in all this, okay? So, um, so I had to deliver some tough news to my bro. I had to make a really tough decision. And I, I said, like, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. So my bro dropped me off, and uh, he dropped me off, and I, I hollered him later on, and everything went great. He took the dude's money, put it right on the gunpoint, got the money, flipped the crack. Everything's good. But here's what I'm telling you in that story, right? Here's what I'm telling, here's why I'm telling the story. Because here's the deal, because 
Because my, my brother committed an act of violence. And my brother, he sold drugs. And that, and that act alone, right, someone sees that act. Someone sees the fact that my brother is out here robbing people and selling drugs. And you can make some assumptions. You can make some judgments about my brother and who he is. Right? And, and you may even rob him a little bit of his dignity. But the reality is this, what you don't know about my brother is my brother had gotten jobs. My brother had gotten jobs because he was a felon. He had made some mistakes. He was trying to do the right thing. But he would get a job and we would celebrate like, bro, you're doing a great job. And then they would find out he was a felon and he'd get fired. And guess what? That didn't just happen one time. It happened over and over and over again. And one thing for me, now that I have a family, I have a wife, I have one kid, he had four. One thing that I feel on my shoulders is me providing for my family. I'm a provider. And at the end of the day, regardless of your perception of me as a pastor of this church, I have responsibility to my family. And I'm going to put food on my family's table. Right? I'm going to do what I got to do. And the reality is, my brother did his best. He was trying to turn over a new leaf. But man, the system just kept knocking them down over and over and over again. And the thing that he knew how to do, he did. Now listen, I'm not condoning what my brother did. But what I'm saying is when you see someone that, that may act in that way, like you may condemn the act, but yo, don't condemn the person because you never know what that person's going through. And it just broke my heart that my brother was, was so, man, at his end and at his last that the only thing that he could do to provide for his family was to, was to rob someone of some drugs and flip it so he can provide for his family. And it just breaks my heart that that's the position that he's in. So, I don't judge my brother because I understand my brother. So how many times is it that you encounter people that are different from you? You encounter people that, that normally you wouldn't hang out with, or these are the people that, that you wouldn't normally sit at a table with. How many times do you encounter them and make assumptions and, assumptions and judge when the first thing you really need to do is you just need to seek to understand? There's a story there. Like, I, I've, I've talked about uh, Zacchaeus a lot with the tax collectors, and, and I think about even the tax collectors. I don't know, but, like, even back then in the Bible, you think that there's someone that was a Jew, you think they, they grew up saying things like, I wanted to be a tax collector? You think that's what they wanted? Back then, when you, when you were coming up, and, and, and basically your, your future was already decided for you. you didn't, there wasn't necessarily a possibility of upward mobility. Like, you couldn't necessarily uh, uh, jump classes in this society. Like, things were figured out for them. And I look at a tax collector back then, and all I can imagine when they're 12, 13 years old, is someone that just wants a better life for them. And maybe someone that just said to, them, to themselves that, man, I just, I, just, I just want to create a life for my family, my kids, and my wife that I can't currently have. And this is just my lot in life. They don't want to grow up being a traitor. They want to grow up being despised by the community. There's a whole set of circumstances that led to them being where they are. So church, at the end of the day, when it comes to the seventh floor, when it comes to who we want to be as a church, when it comes to the need for hospitality, all we're trying to say is, when people come into this church, when people encounter you on your job, when people encounter you at the store, when people encounter you at the movies, in the park, what we're saying to you is, one of the things that's of utmost importance 
is for you to be someone that's hospitable. For you to set the table. For you to create safe environments. For people to be who they are. We just ask you to share your life. Invite someone in. Someone may be encouraged by the way that you live your life. Someone may experience love by you sharing their life with them that they haven't experienced before. And it could change their lives. It can bring them to come to know the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. All we ask you to do is to seek to understand, to not rush to judgment, to not make assumptions about people, but to seek to understand, ask them about their lives, and to be curious. Because the reality is, if we do that, church, if we do that here in this place, and if we mobilize you all out all across the world, where you live and where you work and where you live your life, like if we do that, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to feel love. There's a whole bunch of people that are going to encounter Jesus. And it won't be because they came into a church necessarily and heard a sermon. It'll be because they came and they had an experience where through you, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, they experienced love. They experienced value. They experienced that they belong because of you. And that's what it's about. That's what this whole thing is about. So could you guys stand? We're about to go. So as we go, I've been, I've been saying this, I've been saying this a lot, this phrase of creating space. One of the things we're in the following Jesus course, and one of the things we talk about is this idea that our lives are too hurried. Our lives are too hurried in order to give Jesus full access to our lives. So as you leave this place, this, this, this can't be a thing where you're like, <clears throat> oh man, like didn't Leonard do a good job? He prepared the sermon in two hours. Oh man, that was dope. There was this one point he made me laugh, you know? I mean, it could be that, but, but the reality is this. The reality is that you have to leave this place and you have to figure out how you're going to create space to make this happen. You're going to figure out, man, maybe I need to reorient my life to be hospitable. You may realize this, like, like, man, you may come to the realization that, man, I'm not hospitable at all. And you may have to do some work to, to figure that out. Full confession, in the moments I'm not very hospitable, it's because I'm an introvert. And it's because I feel like that in order for me to recharge, you need to cut myself off from other people. But guess what? The reality is, even in my introvertedness, there are moments when I need to trust God and love people anyway. Right? So what does that mean for you? Maybe you need to come into the realization that, man, people coming to Jesus doesn't just happen in church. Maybe the Lord is waiting for you to be hospitable for someone else to come to know the Lord. All these things we have to, we have to consider. And guys, I just asked you to figure out how you're going to create space to make it happen. The reality is that someone's life can depend on it because someone can encounter Jesus through you and their life can change. So as you leave this place today, my charge to you is to figure out how you can make it happen. How can you create space? What do you need to stop to make room for something else? How can you set the table? How can you share your life? And how can you seek to understand? 
Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you sat at the table with sinners and tax collectors. Because, Lord, if you didn't, if you didn't sit at that table, then I wouldn't be here. And, Lord, that's, that's true for many people in here. Lord, if, 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 that wasn't, if that wasn't who you are, then we wouldn't be here. Because, Lord, I just thank you right now for the ways that you have come after each and every one of us when we did not deserve it. So, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, you would open our eyes to the people that are around us. Lord, open our eyes to the people that we come in contact with. Lord, open our eyes to the people you are calling us to be hospitable to. Lord, help us to create space. Let us help us to figure out how we can how we can die more to ourselves to create more room for other people in our lives. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for the impact that, that the people here in this room can have. I just thank you, for, Lord, for the people that will feel loved, for the people that will feel cared for, for the people that will feel seen as a result of the hospitality of the people that, that they will experience from the people here in this church. Lord, I thank you for the people that will experience hospitality here in this church and that will come to know uh, your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, be with us, God. Draw us closer to yourself as we begin to figure out what does this mean for our lives. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. We proudly these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Go in peace. We'll have week three of our series next week. We'll see you guys.